Well, so good to see you this morning, wherever you're tuning in from. Obviously, the weather didn't cooperate with us to be outside in person today, but we are so grateful for technology, right? Hey, if you're sitting on your laptop or on an iPad or whatever, would you just say hello into chat this morning? There are folks that are there. Uh, we want you to participate even though you're at home or wherever you are, unless you're driving. Don't be typing then, right? But uh, today we're beginning a brand new four-part message series that I believe has the potential to speak to you in a massive, massive way. We're going to talk about loving people because as God loves us, we're called to love other people. Now, I wonder, how many of you recognize that there are just some people that are a little harder to love than others? You can go ahead and raise your hand even if you're at home, right? Um, Obviously, there are. Have you ever run across someone that's just a little harder to love? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in the next four weeks as we kick off this series called Relational Vampires. Yes, vampires. What do vampires do? Vampires suck your blood, right? But hard people, they don't suck your blood. You know what they do? People that we're supposed to love, some of those folks just suck the life out of you and out of me. And so we're going to talk about some of those people over the next four weeks. And here's what's interesting. So we all have those people around us, but we are some of those people as well, right? So how do we love the people that suck the light out of us? If I can get all of you to participate, um, this would be great, right? Because it's always more fun when you participate. But how many of you know someone who can be a control freak? A control freak. You know somebody like that if you're at home, you might not want to raise your hand because no one's there to protect you possibly. So I would suggest maybe you don't do that. If you tried to raise your hand and someone in the room held it down, uh, we might be talking about that person right there today. We're going to talk about control freaks. And uh, unfortunately, some of us have really been hurt by some of these folks. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, I believe most of the time it's unintentional, but you've been hurt by them. Um, They weren't trying to be malicious, but you were hurt. Sometimes these folks are just needy, right? They're They're just needy. Sometimes they're insecure. Sometimes they're just hurting people themselves, and so they just do what they do, controlling people. Listen, These folks can be kind of like an emotional black hole, right? No matter what you do for these people, it's never enough. You give them, they want more. You give them an inch, they want to take even more. And if they don't get what they want, these controlling people, they have different ways of responding. Sometimes they get angry and they scream or shout. Sometimes they pout. Sometimes they'll stomp. Sometimes they'll whine. Sometimes they'll just walk away and kind of give you the silent treatment, right? But these folks, what they're like to live around is you feel like you're always walking on eggshells around them. Now, if you're thinking about somebody right now, again, being you're at home, I suggest you don't point them out because uh, it's just going to make your day much, much more difficult. So how do we love these people that are controllers, that are controlling you? Let's start with a foundation. Um, What are the weapons that controllers use? Well, there's two primary weapons that these controlling people use. The first one is threats. 
They actually, you probably already know this, they use threats. Well, how do threats manifest themselves? Well, in some form or fashion, what they're really saying or implying is this. If you, you better do this or else, you, you, you're going to regret it, right? You better perform or you're going to get punished. In other words, if I don't get what I want, you're going to pay in some way. So they make these threats. It could be a boyfriend, right, that you're dating, and he just kind of puts the pressure on you and says, if you don't do what I want to do uh, sexually, then this is going to happen, or that's not going to happen. I'm going to break up with you, right? It may be your spouse that when you get into an argument, they always threaten to walk out or to leave. Whatever it is, these controllers, these manipulators, they use a great weapon One of their favorites is a threat. The second type of weapon they often use is guilt. Controllers are often pretty good at using guilt. They'll say things like, after all I've done for you, you won't even do this? I mean, I thought we were friends. I thought you really cared about me, right? I mean, and you call yourself a Christian? I mean, come on. I mean, you ever had a family member or a relative say something like this? This is another way they use guilt. Like, you never call me. Oh, you must be too busy for me. You must not really love me because you don't even contact me anymore. Like, I could die and be in my house for two weeks dead and rotting, and you wouldn't even know. That's guilt. Threats and guilt. The two favorite weapons of a controller. Well, how do we, as Christ followers, love those who, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are trying to control and to manipulate us? Well, I want to show you a story today from Matthew's gospel. It involves Jesus and one of his disciples, which was Peter. And Jesus is very clearly explaining what he must do to fulfill the will of God for his life. And Peter, unintentionally, he he doesn't think it's right. He, he doesn't like what Jesus is saying, and so he tries to take control of the situation, and in an unintentional way, he's going to try to distract Jesus or get Jesus to change lanes, if you will, to change directions about what Jesus is saying he has to do. Let me kind of set up the context for you, and then we're going to move into this. Jesus was explaining to the disciples that he clearly has to suffer, and then he has to die. He's going to give his life, and then God three days later, will raise him from the, bed, from the dead. And Peter essentially looks at Jesus and says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, that's, we're, we're not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus is explaining to him, no, Peter, that's the mission that I have from God. And Peter's saying, no, I want to take control of this situation. I want to make sure that this does not happen. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside. Notice that. He took Jesus aside and started to rebuke him. You know what controllers often do? They want to isolate you. They want to get you away from family, get you away from friends so they can whisper in your ear and tell you what you're doing that's not what they want you to do. Well, that's what he does to Jesus. And he says, hey, Lord, this shall never happen to you, like not on my watch. I'm not going to allow this to happen. Well, what did Jesus do? When Peter tried to tell him no, when Peter tried to distract and get Jesus to change lanes away from what God wanted. Look at verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in your mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple, 
They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You'll want to make note of that. We're going to come back to that and put it in context, maybe like you've never, ever seen before. So how do we love those people that are trying to control us and manipulate us? From this story, I want to show you three very important things that we need to know, that we need to make, we need to make note of, and we need to remember, because these are powerful, powerful truths from God's Word. The first thing that we do, if you're taking notes, we need to know what you're called to do. It's very important that you and I know what we're called to do. We need to know what God's plan is for our life, and Jesus made it very clear on what his calling was. I mean, you see it over and over and over again. Jesus says it over and over and over in different ways to share what his mission was, his purpose given to him by God, sent here on this earth what his purpose was. Jesus said, I came to save and to seek that which was lost. He said, I didn't come for the well, the healthy. I came for the sick. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. I came so that people could know me personally. I didn't come where they would serve me. I came to serve all mankind. That was my purpose. He was incredibly clear about what his purpose was. And that's what he's describing here to Peter. If I've got to give my life, I've got to suffer, I've got to die. And then God's going to raise me from the grave three days later. I will walk again on this earth. Now, For you and I to love those people who are trying to control us, it's very important that we know our calling. We need to know what it is that God has put us on this planet for. What's our purpose? Well, we all have one purpose in common, and as whatever you do, we're to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, if he's our Lord, that means we walk his way. We live life his way, and one thing we're to do is to bring honor and glory to God in every thing that we do. That's the first benchmark, right? But I think a lot of us, we, we look for calling, and we've heard, you know, preachers, or we've heard evangelists, or whatever, talk to this, about this, and we think in our minds it's some grandiose thing, like God's going to give us some email or some, you know, great vision of exactly what he wants us to do, and he may, But I think for many of us, listen, it may not be as a grandiose, like you're going to be a missionary to Uganda, or you're going to go cure cancer somewhere. I think for a lot of us, it's right where we're living in our home. It's right where you're already working. God wants you to bring honor and glory to him in that place where you're already working. God wants me, listen, I'm clear about some of my callings, right? There's no doubt about it. I can look at scripture and I know I don't have to debate what my calling is. Number one, listen, one of my things is to bring honor and glory to God in everything I do. Listen, I'm to honor my wife, to love her like Christ loved the church. That's part of what I'm here for on this planet. I'm to lead my kids, especially when they're in my home, right? To fall in love with Jesus, to be an example for them, a role model, if you will. The other thing that I'm called to do very clearly, I know that, I've known that for 30-something years now, is to pastor this church called Crossroads Community Church, to be the shepherd of this flock, right? And, And I give everything about me, my time, my talent, my treasure, to do those things well, serve my wife, my kids, this church family. Wherever you're working, you've got to know your calling. Whatever you're doing in life, you've got to know your calling so that controllers or anything else can't distract you and get you away from that which God has put you on this planet for. 
all right? So that's number one. What's true for me is true for you. What was true for Jesus is true for you. He wanted them to understand his clear purpose, and here Peter is trying to get him off track. Are you following me? Good. You can type, I'm here in chat. You're following along. Does everybody get what's going on here? Because we're going to take this to another level. Listen, you know what? I can't please everybody. It's so important that I know my calling because everybody else has an idea of what I should be doing with my time and my talent and my treasures. Do you have that as well? I mean, I can't do everything. I can't be there for everybody. I can't meet with everybody that wants to meet with me. I mean, there's a part of me and I struggle with that because I'm a people pleaser. I want to please people. But listen, I can't always please God and please people at the same time because I know what my calling is and I can't allow even well-intentioned good things distract me from what God has really put me here for. So I want to tell you something that every controller has in common. Every controlling person that you know and that I know, here's one thing that every single one of them have in common. It's not on your note sheets if you're taking notes, but it's worth writing down in my opinion. Here's what it is. Here's something every controller has in common. Every controlling person has someone who allows it. Every controlling person has someone around them that allows them to be controlled. Do you understand that? Do you follow that? So here's the deal. So the person that's doing controlling, they have a problem. But so do we who wrongly allow it to happen, to be controlled. There's a problem on the controller's part. There's also a problem on those of us that allow ourselves to be controlled. That's why it's so important to know your calling. When you clarify your calling, it will allow you to stay focused and not get distracted away from the calling that God has on your life. So know what you're called to do. That's number one. Here's the second thing. Know when someone's trying to control you. We've got to know when someone's trying to control us, to recognize and to acknowledge that, hey, I think this person is trying to push us off track. They're trying to get us to do their agenda rather than God's agenda. I'm tempted to please them, but I don't want to not please God. That's what's going on in our story with Peter. Jesus is basically saying, hey, this is, this is, he's telling the disciples, including Peter, this is what God's called me to do. I'm to lay down my life and God's then going to raise me back up. And then what does Peter do? Peter says, no, 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 not on my watch. That's never, ever, ever going to happen, Lord. We can't let that happen. Now, here's what's interesting to me about Peter being the one that said that, because just moments before that, Peter won kind of what I would call Jesus jeopardy. You know, jeopardy, right? Jesus was kind of had this game, if you will, going with his disciples, and Peter won Jesus' jeopardy. I mean, all the other disciples, Jesus asked them this question. He, he said, hey, who do you say that I am? And the disciples were given all kinds of answers that they had heard other people give. You know, you're this, you're a great teacher, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. And finally, he's getting all the wrong answers, and he says to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets the answer exactly right. That's how he won Jesus' jeopardy. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you're exactly right. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven had to reveal that to you. So Peter is not an evil man. Peter is on the, he he, he won Jesus' jeopardy. He knew the right answer, but yet he was still trying to control 
Jesus, even knowing what Jesus' purpose and plan was. Now, that's why we've got to recognize it. We've got to recognize when people are steering us off track. We need to recognize that whether intentionally or unintentionally, people are trying to get us to do their agenda or another agenda rather than what God has clearly called us to do. So, you've got to know when someone's trying to control you. And here's the third thing. This is where it gets a little more difficult, but this is the loving thing to do. The third thing is you need to know when to draw a line in the sand. You and I need to know when to draw a line in the sand. And that's exactly what Jesus does with Peter. He says, Peter, this is what I'm called to do. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Not going to let that happen. That's where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, right? Because you're a stumbling block to me, Peter. And you don't have, listen to what he says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, You're just missing the boat. And so he's so direct with him to say, get behind me, Satan. I mean, I don't know if you've ever said that out loud. It's it's kind of an interesting thing to say, right? But whether you're sitting at home or wherever you are, matter of fact, let's just do that. Just say this, get behind me, Satan. Kind of weird, isn't it? But you know what that means? He was just saying, listen, that's what the devil would have me to do, Peter. I know you don't want me to die, but I have to die to defeat death and to provide hope for all of mankind, and then God's going to raise me from the dead. And I know you don't understand it all. You're just thinking humanly, and I get that. But listen, you're doing the devil's work right now. Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't going to be controlled. So you know what? This is kind of a practical thing. If your grandma or somebody around you starts making you feel guilty, um, biblically, you can kind of look at her saying, Call her Satan and then walk away. No, I'm kidding. Please don't, please don't do that. Don't call anybody Satan and then walk away. Jesus did that to show us, though, that we can't allow other people to control us and get us off track of what God has clearly called us to do. Jesus said, this is God's will for me. And Peter, unintentionally, not clearly thinking about the real perspective that mattered for eternity, he was thinking human turns, said, no, 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 no. And Jesus was like, listen, this is what I've got to do. Now, let's play just, just for a second. What if, let's play the what if game. What if Jesus was codependent? What if Jesus was codependent? Imagine if Jesus' identity, right, was wrongly wrapped up in Peter's opinion of him, like so many people get stuck there. What if Jesus was like that? And, and he says, here's what I've got to do, Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And Jesus said, oh, gee whiz, that's going to upset you. I don't want you to get upset, Peter. You know what? What would you have me to do? And Peter says, listen, if you do what you say you're going to do and you don't follow what I want you to do, like, I'm going to be really upset. Like, I'm going to get really, really mad, Jesus. Like, I'll unfollow you on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, I'll cut you off right now. And what if Jesus was so codependent? He said, oh, okay, 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 I won't die. I'm not going to die, Peter. I mean, I was going to do this for all of mankind, but because you don't want me to, I won't do that. I'll do whatever you want. None of us would have hope today. None of us would have hope today. And you might look at your life or I might look at mine and say, wow, do we really have that much on the line? We could argue that, right? But let me tell you, you don't want to miss what God has clearly called you to be as a husband, as a wife, as an employer, as an employee, as a person that has time, talent, and treasure. You want to be about God's work because that's what's going to last for eternity. What we do outside of that 
is not going to be at the same level. And that's why it's so dangerous. It would have been for Jesus to get distracted. It's same for us. All right? Now, let's do this. Everybody kind of take a breath for a moment. We're going to head down the home stretch and put some pieces together. And then I'm going to give you an application that I literally believe can change the rest of your life. When someone threatens us, they make us feel guilty and we give in, perhaps we got to realize that we're obviously not doing what God would call us to do. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts. They're the starred points if you're taking notes on note sheets. And hopefully for somebody, this is going to be very, very freeing today. God's going to wake you. He's going to shake you. And this has the potential to change your life in a great way. This is huge. All right? Here's the first one if you're taking notes. The relationships that you have currently, you pick them, you list them, you go through them in your head. The relationships that you currently have are a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. Do you get that? Let me say it again. The relationships that you currently have, you take a look at them, they're a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. Every relationship. Your marriage is what you've created and allowed. The relationship you have with your siblings is something you've created and you've allowed. With your boss, your coworkers, it's something you've allowed and something you've created, right? With your kids, they're always, all of our relationships are a combination of what we've created and what we've allowed. And let's just be honest, we're creatures of habit. We've created patterns, We've created some healthy patterns. We've created some unhealthy patterns. But in every relationship you have, every relationship, the person that drives you crazy, your mother-in-law that's always getting up in your business, your spouse that you love, but they continue to do whatever they do, or you have those dynamics, what do you have? It's a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. That's a biggie. Here's the next thought. Fill this in or jot this down. If you don't like what you have in those relationships, if you don't like the dynamics, then change what you expect and what you accept. If you don't like the dynamics going on in those relationships, here's the good news. It doesn't have to continue. You just change what you expect from them or that relationship and what you accept from them or in that relationship. That's huge. You've got to know where to draw that line in the sand. Remember that? And we're here, I'm not going to accept this anymore. And here's what I'm going to expect from you, right? That's what Peter did with, or that's what Jesus did with Peter. Cleared it up. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? You say to that person that you're in a relationship with that's unhealthy, I'm not going to let you talk to me that way anymore. It's inappropriate. I care about you, I love you, but I'm not going to allow myself to be talked to that way. I'm not going to allow you to control or manipulate or use guilt or threats against me anymore. I'm just not. You know what? We're adults here. Adults shouldn't act like two-year-old kids, right? But two-year-old kids act a certain way. I know people that are 40 and 50 years old that still have some two-year-old tendencies. Again, if you know them or they're sitting in the room with you, please don't point. It won't go good for you this afternoon. You know how two-year-olds act, though? We've all seen them in the store, right? By the way, we've all been two-year-olds. Some of us a little longer than other people, right? But let's just face it. A kid in the store wants a toy, wants the candy, whatever it is. And mom says no or dad says no. And what do they do? Well, if they're allowed to, they kick and they scream. I want candy! I want candy! And then you're like, oh, shoot, people are going to see me, 
right? And so most of us, hopefully, you just do the right thing and you don't reward bad behavior. So they don't get the candy, especially when they act up, right? Unless they go on for like 20 minutes. They go on for 20 minutes, they might wear you down, right? And it's like the little terrorists have taken control and you give in to them. But then you might whisper in their ear, you can have the candy now, but someday nobody's going to be around in this store, right? Because you're going to like, I'm going to get you. But for real, we don't tolerate that. We expect more from that. We're not going to accept that behavior out of you. That's what we need to do with one another in a loving way. It's what we need to do with other people. So when you do this, what's going to happen? Well, <laughs> you don't always know. Maybe the controller's going to rear up. Maybe they're going to get upset. Maybe they're probably going to revert to the tactics that they typically use. They might double down on their dysfunctional behavior. Why are they going to act like that? because that's a pattern that's been created, because it's always worked, because they're not getting their way. And you have the chance to redefine the relationship, to redefine the dance, if you will. Will it be difficult? Of course it'll be difficult. It's always difficult for you already. Some of you, you just dread being around certain people because you kind of know how it's going to go because you've created these patterns. Now, here's what I want to do as we transition and wrap this thing up. This is a biggie. Let's pause for just a minute. Think about this. It's real easy to talk about control freaks because we all know some, right? But every now and then, I look in the mirror and I have tattooed across my forehead, control freak, king of control freaks. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? It's easy to see the controller in other people. It's harder to see the one that stares back at me in the mirror, right? I want everybody, let's face it, all of us have that part of us that says, I want everybody doing what I want them to do. My wife's at home saying amen. My kids are saying amen. My staff is saying amen, right? Um, Because we all have some controller in us. All of us deep down want what we want, which you know what ultimately that means? It means I want to play God. That means at some level, I think that what I know is better than what you know, or my way is better than your way. And my guess is I'm not alone in this. My guess is many of you struggle in the same way if you're being honest. And ultimately, we're doing the work that Jesus accused Peter of, which was Satan's work, distracting us from what God has for us. But the truth of the matter is, I don't make a good God, and neither do you. I don't make a good God, and neither do you. So no matter how much guilt you throw someone's way, no matter how many times you threaten or use guilt, do you really have the power? Let me ask you, do you really have the power to change your spouse? And in case you're wondering, the answer is no, you do not. Does God have the power to change your spouse? Yes, he does. Do you as a helicopter mom or a helicopter parent, really, really, do you have the ability to control your kids and get them to what you want them to do for the rest of their life? The answer is no, you don't. You can impact them. You can inspire them. You can be a role model to them, but you can't control your kids for the rest of their life. Can God? 
Can God open doors and close doors and direct them? Absolutely he can. Do you have the ability to control and to threaten people? Of course you do. Is that what God would have you to do? Of course not. And so we need to recognize we don't have the power to control. And when we stop trying to act like God and we surrender to him, that's the best choice we'll ever make. And that's what Jesus said right after the conversation between him and Peter, Peter trying to get him distracted. The very next thing in the context of this dysfunctional encounter, he turns away from Peter, he looks at his disciples, and he says this. This is the verse we said we'd come back to. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves. In other words, you can't be your own God anymore. You have to give up that role when you accept me as Lord and you follow me. You have to take up a cross like I physically, Jesus said, took up a cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Essentially, that's what Jesus was saying. If you want to follow me, the day you make me Lord is the day you give up control. You'll never be in control again because I'm going to be your Lord. And from that moment on, it's not about your will. It's about my Father's will. It's not about your will be done. It's about His will being done. So control essentially is me trying to be God. And the only way that I can get in a right relationship there is to truly surrender and follow His will. Without entering into dysfunction, I'm going to follow Him, live His way. And I'm not going to try to control everybody else. I'll pray for other people because God can do what I can't, and I'm not God. So right now, I'm denying myself and trying to bring my flesh and my desires under the will of God. Because if I want to truly follow God, it's no longer about what I want. It's about me fully submitting to him. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray and ask that your spirit would give us and speak to us life. God, I want to pray for everyone that is tuning in or that will tune in that has a little dysfunction in their lives, in their relationships. That, God, they see others in this, but they also see themselves in this. Those of us that would admit that we've been hurt by someone's control, to say, God, give us the strength and the courage to draw some lines in the sand to redefine that relationship because it's all about what we've grown to do by habit and what we accept. God, for those that are controllers or for those that have been hurt by a controller, God, I pray for them. God, for those of us that look at ourselves in the mirror and say, wow, I would never really frame it that way, but when I'm trying to control people, I'm really saying that I think I know better than you, God, and I'm really trying to play God in their lives, and I don't want to do that. God, I understand that Peter had a great heart and unintentionally was trying to derail Jesus, and I don't want to be that in anyone's life. 
And God, when the truth is known, I don't really have that power to change anyone except myself. And so God, my prayer is for myself to focus on you, to realize the day I gave my heart to you, I gave up control. I made you Lord, which means I can't be of my own life. And the honest truth is, God, even when I act like I think I know better, deep down I know that that is foolishness. There's no way I can know more than you, who your ways are higher and greater than my ways. So I apologize. I ask for forgiveness for that. And from this day forward, God, I want to follow you, truly follow you, which means you're Lord and I'm not. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, listen. Let me ask you, have you ever given up control of your life, truly, to Jesus? Can you remember a day, a time, a place where you admitted that you were a sinner and you realized that there's no hope for you to spend eternity with God because you're imperfect? It's not about God grading on a curve and you hope by going to church or by giving or doing some good things and not doing enough bad things that somehow one day you'll earn God's approval into heaven. Listen, that does not work. Scripture does not teach that. Scripture says that if you break one law, if you make one mistake, if you commit one sin, you're disqualified at being perfect. Heaven requires perfection. There was only one perfect human that walked this earth and his name was Jesus. God sent him to become one of us, to live a life that was perfect and to be crucified and to shed his blood, which is to forgive your sins. And on the third day, he did rise from the dead. His father raised him from the dead and defeated death, which gives all of us hope that whosoever would invite Jesus into their heart and life, they would get credit for his perfection because he had already taken the punishment that they deserved for their sin. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, you're not sure right where you're listening from today, make this your prayer from your heart to God's ears. Say, God, I don't understand at all, but based on what I've heard, I know I've never turned over ownership of my life to you. God, I turn from my sin today. I admit that I'm a sinner and I turn from him and I turn to you as my only hope. I open up my heart and I ask you to come in. Save me, forgive me, give me a brand new life. And from this day forward, you are my God, you are my Lord and my Savior, which means I will follow you and trust you. And I say thanks. And I give you the praise to the name that's above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And everybody said, or everybody typed, amen. Amen. Listen, next week, let me tell you what we're going to do next week. We're going to talk about loving people that can be overly critical. You know anybody like that? That no matter what you do, they seem to criticize. Those people are always picking you apart. They're always pointing out where you're flawed, where your mistakes you're making. Hopefully, the weather's going to cooperate. And right now, it says it's going to be like 71 next weekend. If it doesn't rain and it's not freezing, freezing cold, we're going to be back out there 10, 30, and 12. Watch for it online this week. 
You'll need to register. Why? Because we want to keep everybody safe. We want to know who's coming, how many are coming, so we can prepare for you. So please do that. Yes, you can invite and bring friends. We want you to. Just go through, register with them, and hopefully we'll right back out here in the parking lot and stay tuned. You might have a great announcement, a big announcement coming soon. So stay care. take care. Hope you have a great afternoon. Stay dry. Stay dry. We love you. Can't wait to see you again. Have a great day.